Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Kings chapter 23. 2 Kings chapter number 23. And uh, just have to say as you're turning there, I have just loved this semester. We have just had a great time in classes and activities and basketball games. And thank you for the spirit that you have brought even to chapel. I've really enjoyed just hearing your responses and hearing your singing and uh, seeing how you've responded during the invitation. And keep that tender heart throughout the entire semester. I know God is going to use that in a great way. I have to say there is, it's been an honor to serve on the college faculty and staff, and I have just loved every moment of it. But the other day, uh, there was perhaps the biggest honor bestowed on me uh, as part of the college, and that was that I made the WCBC memes page. I'd like to show you my meme uh, so, so first off, it's just a little scary. You never know when people are taking pictures, number one. And I, I think whoever posted this really messed things up for me because I don't think Brother EJ's ever going to give me a ride around campus again. <laughs> Now, I have to tell you, he offered, all right? Like he, I, I was walking from my office. He said, hey, can I give you a ride? And I was like, sure. And then all of a sudden, the whole world knows about this. And uh, anyway, I, I, I thought I would share that with everybody. I don't know who runs the WCBC memes page. It's probably good. Uh, that it is anonymous, uh, but I just have to thank you, whoever this person is who took the picture and posted this, thank you for the honor you have bestowed upon me. Second uh, Kings chapter 23, we're going to start reading in verse number one. The context here is that Josiah has just found the word of God in the temple as he is remodeling the temple, and now he has a decision to make. Is he going to follow what the law of God says, or is he going to walk in the footsteps of his father and grandfather who were tremendously wicked kings uh, during their reign? So let's begin in verse number one. And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. Verse number three, and the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. Covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the keepers of the door, to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal, and for the grove, and for the host of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. And he put down the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem. Them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun and to the moon and to the planets and to all the host of heaven. 
And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem unto the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and stamped it small to powder and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the great spirit that we have seen demonstrated here at West Coast Baptist College this semester. Lord, I pray for these next few moments that you would please help us to open up our hearts. Help us to follow in the footsteps of Josiah this morning. And I pray that you would give everyone in this room an opportunity to visit Kidron. Lord, I pray that you would please purify us as a student body. Purify us as a person as a college, as a church, as a nation. And Lord, I pray that we would see a great revival even in our country because of our churches around the country who have gotten right with you. Lord, I pray that you would please bless our time around your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The Kidron Valley lies on the northeast side of the city of Jerusalem. The valley was known for many uses. Primarily, it was the location of the king's garden and the king's personal property outside of Jerusalem. It was the water source for the city as well. Hezekiah would build his famous tunnel through the rock of the mountain of Jerusalem, connecting the city to this water source of the Kidron River. It was a border for the city. It was the city limits of Jerusalem. David crossed the river to escape his son Absalom during his, uh, his rebellion. And Jesus crossed the river to pray at the Mount of Olives on the other side of the Temple Mount before his arrest and his crucifixion, John 18, 1. It became a popular burial ground after the time of Christ. And today, the, book, the brook has dr uh, uh, gone dry, and it is called a wadi now, or we would call it today out here in the American West, a wash. It is not a, a physical river anymore, but when it rains heavily, uh, you might be able to still see a brook flowing through this valley. On one side of the valley, as you can see in the picture, is the eastern gate, the wall of Jerusalem. On the other side of the valley is the Mount of Olives. It is a beautiful area, but this beautiful area also became a dumping grounds for the most vile of items. We read here in 2 Kings chapter 23 that Josiah has read the word of God, the covenant of God to the people. And in verse number three, they stand and they agree that they are going to abide by God's law. We see a great revival start to overtake the land. And in verse four, the king commands the priest to begin purging the temple of all of the wickedness that had been placed there by his his grandfather Manasseh and by his father Ammon. We also see as we read through 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles that the Kidron Valley was not just a place where Josiah dumped all of this idolatry, but also during the revivals of Asa and Hezekiah, we see those kings as well gathering idolatry from the city and from the temple of Jerusalem specifically and dumping it in the Kidron Valley. The truth is this morning, Everybody needs a Kidron. Everybody needs 
a time and a place of cleaning and of purging. When was the last time that you visited Kidron? When was the last time that you prayed with the psalmist? Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, let me be clear. We should be very thankful for the positional purity that we have provided through Christ's atonement on the cross. First uh, Peter chapter one, verse 18, for as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, we are redeemed. We are purified by the blood of Christ at the moment of our salvation and we can be thankful this morning that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved but that does not discount the need for practical purity in our Christian life the very same chapter of 1 Peter chapter 1, we read in verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word not just meaning everything that comes out of our mouth, but meaning everything that we live by, our lifestyle. We have called, been called to be holy as it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. We have a responsibility as Christians to live holy lives. So very quickly this morning, let's take three steps on the path to Kidron. The first step I see that Josiah takes is to burn your wealth. Burn your wealth. Look at verse number four again. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priest of the second order, and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. It's very easy as we are reading through this chapter to not really take a moment to think about uh, the significance of these vessels that Josiah is burning in the Kidron Valley. He burns these vessels and just in case anyone even sees the ashes, he takes the ashes 10 miles north and dumps them in Bethel. He does not want anything left of Baal worship in Jerusalem. Now we don't know how expensive these vessels were, but as we study vessels in the tabernacle in Exodus 25, 39, the Bible tells us that the vessels in the tabernacle were made up from a talent of gold. Gold. That would be 75 pounds of gold. I did the math with the price of gold yesterday, and that is $1.7 million. So just the vessels in the tabernacle, and you have to remember that that had to be portable uh, as they traveled through the desert, $1.7 million worth of vessels in the tabernacle. As we fast forward to the temple, Solomon didn't even weigh the vessels of the temple. First Kings chapter seven, verse 50, 47 tells us he didn't even weigh them because they were exceedingly many. So if you could take that number $1.7 million and just multiply it a few hundred times, 
you might be able to understand the wealth of these vessels that were found in the temple. But now at the time of Josiah, these vessels of God were put in storage. They were put in the back room and now they were using vessels dedicated to Baal. Now, again, we don't know how expensive these vessels were, but I think that places into context for us this morning that this was not just Josiah throwing away a dollar bill. This was not Josiah just throwing away what the leftovers were in his economy and in his reign. These vessels represented the wealth of Jerusalem. These vessels, though they were dedicated to Baal, represented the the wealth of Jerusalem and the wealth of this world. Now, the Kidron Valley is also known for another famous event in the future. Kidron Valley, again, has the eastern gate uh, on the edge of it. The eastern gate in prophecy is where Jesus will return to the Mount of Olives during his second coming, and he will walk through the eastern gate. Now, as you can see, the eastern gate today is filled with concrete by the Muslims. They knew that the Messiah was going to march through the eastern gate. How many of you understand that a little bit of concrete is not going to stop Jesus from returning uh, and conquering Jerusalem on the day of Armageddon? But Zechariah 14.4 tells us, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a great, very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Acts chapter 1, as Jesus ascends up to heaven, the angels tell the disciples, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then return they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem. Now this is also called the Valley of Jehoshaphat in Joel chapter 3. The, the Valley of Jehoshaphat was a valley and a place of judgment. Joel chapter 3 verse number 2, I will also gather all the nations and will bring them down into the Valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. You see, the judgment of the nations that will take place at the valley Kidron, where Jesus will set foot on the Mount of Olives and will conquer all of the nations of this world, this this event, this place points to the futility of worldly riches. Why would we live for something like this? Why would we live for the wealth of this world? Your riches will either burn now or it will burn then. It's your choice. What wealth do you need to burn spiritually this morning? Now, I've traveled the country and and, uh, usually when you're traveling in the South, Dr. Weaver would know this, uh, you hear a few phrases about California. Uh, You hear things, I think most of us have heard this if you're from the South, you're going to California, it's going to drop off in the middle of the ocean. I usually tell them we're on the right side of the San Andreas Fault. We don't have to worry about that. Okay, we got beachfront property if that ever happens. All right. If you didn't know, San Andreas Fault is Avenue S in Palmdale. That's the San Andreas Fault. So we're on the right side of that. I'm not really worried about that. 
But when you go to the South, everyone's telling you, good night, your governor is crazy. Good night, you know what's going on there? Do you know all the propaganda? Do you know all of the worldly philosophies that are happening there in California? You must have it really rough in California. And I usually tell them about the same thing. I'll tell them, you know, God's doing a great work in California. God is doing some amazing things. People are getting saved. Churches are getting planted. God is doing a great work in the darkness of California. You see, I've had even family members tell me, man, if you would just move out uh, here, you'd be in a, a conservative state. You would have a lower cost of living. You, you would be able to buy a house. You'd have all this comfort. And, and, and every time I hear that, I think to myself, you know, if that was what life is about, it would be a no-brainer. Good night. Sure, I'd move to a red state. Sure, I would move to a place where I could be comfortable and have a nice career and, and uh, buy a house and, and have a backyard with a picket fence. Sure. But that's not what life is about, Christian. We don't live for the wealth of this world. We have a board that hangs in our home. We call it our miracle board. And I love being able to look at that board every once in a while, maybe when things are a little tight, maybe when things are going a little wrong. And I look at that board and I remind myself all throughout our marriage how we have seen God provide massive, massive ways. Thousands and thousands of dollars are represented. I did the math one day, probably about $13,000 represented on that miracle board, how God has provided for us. You see, let me tell you very early on in your Bible college ministry, don't live for the money. Don't live for the wealth of this world. I, I travel the country again and I hear teenagers tell me, well, I'm just going to go to this career and I'm just going to do this and I'm just going to pursue this because I'm going to try to make the most money. But let me tell you, the Bible's very clear. All of that is going to corrupt. All of that is going to fade away. Let me encourage you, Bible college student, if you have a well-paying job right now to get through college, then praise the Lord for that. But don't let that well-paying job keep you from what God has called you to do in the future. If you have God providing for you, or even if you're struggling through college, look at the wealth of this world and understand that it's all going to burn. Burn it now, or it will burn later. Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I seen, never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Student, God is going to take care of you. Get your eyes off the money. Get your eyes off of the career. Get your eyes off of how much you can make and where you can be comfortable. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't work hard. The Bible's very clear. If you don't work, you don't eat. So work hard. It doesn't mean that you don't steward your finances wisely. This doesn't mean that you should just go out and swipe the credit card and get into debt. That's not what I'm talking about. We're not talking about a frivolity here. We're talking about a fact that if you are working and serving for God and you are keeping him first in your life, that God will provide. Student, burn the wealth this morning. Don't let it get its hooks in you. Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and, all, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The first step to Kidron, burn your wealth. Take the hooks out of you. 
and make sure you have your eyes on Christ. Verse number six gives us the second step. Look what else he does at Kidron. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem unto the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and stamped it small to powder and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. The second step, step I see, not only burning your wealth, but drown your filth. Drown your filth. You see, we all must worship something. That's how God has created us. And unfortunately, in the temple, in the very temple of God, the kings prior to Josiah have set up a grove. Now, I can't even show you a picture of what that is. This is wickedness. This is vile. This is what is called an Asherah pole. This is what, this is a pole that oftentimes symbolized fertility. Oftentimes it might have even been a tree, but many times it was a carved out pole or idol, often with a pornographic image of the goddess Ashtaroth right on the front of it. And some reprobate sets this up in the temple of God. Talk about filth. But you know, I have to take a step back and think, what filth is in my temple? 1 Corinthians 3.16, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, that ye are the spirit, that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. 1 Corinthians 6.19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? 2 Corinthians 6.16, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, I really don't think that you understand what filth is until you become a parent. It becomes very apparent what filth is when you become a parent. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever dealt with a diaper explosion. I, uh, we were traveling with Silas. He was about nine months old and we were traveling to her in Colorado. And uh, we, were, we were at a, an amazing church. And uh, most everyone here uh, would know the church, just an amazing on fire church. And, uh, and, and Silas had a diaper explosion right before the service. Always happens right before the service. And I tell you what, I am not going to describe all of the filth that was flowing from Silas's diaper. Now, the worst part about this diaper explosion was that we did not have a change of clothes there at the church. It was all at the hotel. We had already checked into the hotel. We didn't have any change of clothes here. And the, the church did not have any change of clothes. The nursery didn't have a change of clothes. I mean, we were stuck. And so thankfully, we were traveling with Jared Tam. And he had a shirt that just about fit Silas. <laughs> Have a picture. And uh, Silas enjoyed his time in the nursery that night, uh, just trying to recover from his filth. Now, if you see Jared, you can tell him I said that. I already, I already told him I was going to use this as an illustration. But I tell you what, until you have dealt with pure refuse and filth, you don't really understand how God views our sin. It's filthy. It's disgusting. Some of you guys, even as I was describing the diaper explosion, were starting to get a little queasy. How do you think that 
God views our sin. So many times we get so comfortable wallowing around in our filth. We're comfortable with all of the things that we have let go in our lives and we think that it's all going to be okay. Let me tell you very quickly, if I were the devil, I would not expose sin in Bible college. If I were the devil, I would wait until you were in ministry, when you were a pastor, when you were a missionary or an evangelist, and then I would expose it so that I could take down as many people as possible from their faith. Bible college, you think you're getting away with it now, but Satan has a strategy and Satan knows the perfect time to expose that sin so that he can hurt as many people around you. Now, I understand that many times we preach against sin and we should preach against sin in a harsh way so that we can understand how God views it. But let me very quickly give you some practical ways. If you say, Brother, Brother Burr, I... I have a sin in my life and I've come to this altar so many times and I've tried to give it up and I've tried to pray and I've tried to confess and it just keeps, it just keeps coming back. What do I do? And I believe that the majority of our students here have a sincere heart to be, to confess sin and to get right with God. But so many times that battle with the flesh is so difficult. So very quickly, let me give you some practical ways of cleaning out your temple. Number one, avoid excuses. Avoid excuses. First Kings 15, 13. Take a moment, turn over there. First Kings 15, 13. As I said earlier, the kings prior to Josiah, who saw great revival, Asa and Hezekiah, all used this valley of Kidron to dump all the trash. So as we look at the, the reign of Asa very quickly in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 13, we read of this very same grove, literally a grove again in the temple. 1 Kings 15, 13. And also Micah, his mother, the king's mother, sets up. Even her, he removed from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove and Asa destroyed, or destroyed her idol and burnt it by the brook Kidron. You know, you could have some family filth and make excuses for it. Oh, you know what? That's just, no, that's just how my dad is and I'm just kind of like him, you know? Man, you know, my dad always got angry with me when I was a kid, so that's just how I'm gonna, that's just, that's just my personality. It's in me. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm, man, I'm Irish. Man, I tell you what, I just got a temper on me because I'm Irish. Don't make excuses. Oh, my mother did this to me, or my dad said this, and oh, my boss did this. And a lot of times when we have sin that is festering in our hearts, we try to make excuses. But we see here in the reign of Asa, his own mother is setting up an idol, and he deposes her and kicks her out and burns the idol. He says, I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not just going to say, well, you know, it's my mother. I'm just going to let her do her thing. No. Asa was going to clear it out. We also see in the reign of Hezekiah, turn over to 2 Chronicles 29. 2 Chronicles 29, 16. Hezekiah is doing the exact same thing at the Brook Kidron. 
And the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all of the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kildren. This is a cultural filth. Don't make excuses. Well, this is just how our culture is. This is just how our nation is. This is just what my friend is watching. This is just what is going, uh, being posted. I didn't have any control over it. All of these excuses. If you really want to clean out your temple, student, you need to avoid the excuses. It doesn't matter what your family's doing. It doesn't matter what the culture is doing. You have a responsibility as a Christian to clean it up. Hezekiah's cleansing in 2 Chronicles 29 took eight days. Good night. Talk about a house cleaning. Talk about a spring cleaning. It took them eight days to get all of the filth out. And then he invited the whole nation of Israel to come. Now, remember, the, the northern tribes of Israel had already been conquered by Assyria at this point. But he still sends out letters to them. And he says, guys, hopefully you learned something from this judgment from God from Assyria. Why don't you guys come to Jerusalem and get cleaned up too? Second uh, Chronicles 30, 14. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem. And all the altars for incense took they away and cast them into the brook Kidron. So number one, avoid excuses. Number two, claim. Claim God's promises. Stay there in 2 Chronicles 30. Claim God's promises. Hezekiah sends out these letters to the whole, is, uh, whole nation of Israel, even the northern tribes. And in verse number six, the post went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah. And according to the commandment of the king saying, this is what he says, ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the king of Assyria. What is Hezekiah doing? He's pointing them to the promises of God. And Christian, you have a promise. First Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you but as such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it that's a promise that many of you should memorize today whenever that temptation comes you need to memorize that verse and quote it to that temptation there's power in God's promises Hebrews 4, 15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Claim God's promises. Number three, memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. Go back to 2 Kings 23. 2 Kings 23, back to our text with Josiah. All of this purging came after they found the word of God in the temple. You have to memorize scripture. If you have a temptation, you need to look up some verses about that temptation and quote it every time that you're tempted. There is power in scripture. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, are honest, are just, are pure, are lovely, are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things things. Student, you might be frustrated this morning thinking, man, I've heard all these messages on sin. I keep confessing all of this. I keep coming forward. I keep trying. Here are some practical ways that you can get the victory. Number four, pray for power. Pray for power. 
right before this passage, Josiah sends the priest to the prophetess Huldah. What are they doing? They're inquiring of the Lord. And Huldah tells them this in verse number 19 of chapter 22. Because thine heart was tender and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse and has rent thy clothes and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Huldah says, you know what? You're going to have victory because you've been inquiring of God. You've been praying for power. Matthew 17, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. But remember what Jesus said in the next verse, how be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. And many times if you have a habitual sin, a besetting sin, you might not even realize the spiritual warfare and the spiritual influence that are hovering over you. And sometimes you just need to pray for power. Sometimes you just need to fast. Sometimes you just need to take some time to, to with God and, and, and glean off of the power of God to be able to conquer those spiritually dark forces. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul says, I don't want to get up and preach if I haven't gotten conquering over this myself. Number five, Replace it with good. Replace with good. It was not enough to just remove the grove. What did Josiah have to do? He had to start bringing out the vessels of God. He had to start worshiping God in the temple. If he just left it empty, all of that wickedness was just going to creep back. Replace it with good. Romans 13, 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Ephesians 4, 24, and that ye put on the new man, uh, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Colossians 3, verse 9, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man of his deeds and I put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him and verse number 12 and above all things put on charity which is the bond of perfectness let me encourage you student it is time to drown your filth it is time to get serious about sin it is time to stop making excuses. It is time to seek the power of God. It is time to memorize scripture. It is time to do all of these practical things so that you can finally have victory over that besetting sin. Come to Kidron, burn your wealth. You need to burn your wealth and you need to clean up your filth. Number three, and we'll be done. Spurn yourself. Spurn yourself. Verse number 12. And the altars that were on the top of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which uh, Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, did the king beat down and break them down from thence and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. 2 Kings chapter 21 tells us about these altars of Manasseh. This is Josiah's grandfather building literal altars to pagan gods in the courts of the temple. Manasseh, uh, 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 33, tells us actually repents of this sin 
and, and God forgives him for this. He takes away all the strange gods and the altars out of the temple, but his son Ammon comes through and rebuilds them again. So now Josiah has to come through and, and tear them up. What do these altars represent? We are very clear as Christians that we should be a living sacrifice. But often, as Dr. Getch says, the problem with a living sacrifice is that we keep jumping off the altar. What was, the altar gets built up, gets torn down. It gets built up again, it gets torn down. We need to make sure every single day that we are not living with an altar of self in our hearts. What are you serving God for? What altars need to be removed? Maybe it's not even a bad thing. Maybe it's not even a sinful thing, but it has taken the place of God in your heart. Just a personal testimony, I, uh, I uh, was traveling to a youth summit uh, with Dr. Shetler, and Dr. Shetler was preaching a sermon on Abraham and Isaac. I don't know if you've heard him preach that sermon. I've heard him preach it multiple times. He preached on giving up something for God, sacrificing something for God. And there was something in my heart that I realized during that sermon was, was taking the place of God. It wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a sinful or wicked thing, but it was something in my heart that had started to take the priority over God in my heart. And so I remember kneeling at the front of that altar and, and giving that to God that night, saying, God, I, I, I'm going to give this to you and I want you to take it. Well, whenever you pray a prayer like that, God takes you up on the altar, on the offer. And the very next week, I had an opportunity to give it up and I gave it up. My mind, I, I, I knew that I had given it up. Well, uh, ironically, uh, the Lord had led Dr. Getch uh, during West Coast uh, up close the following week to have a play on Abraham and Isaac. Like, good night. Man, I think the Lord's trying to tell me something. Well, guess what? Dr. Getch had asked me to preach that service. And so the play was on Abraham and Isaac. So guess what? My message was on Abraham and Isaac. And honestly, as I was preaching that message, I was, I, I was preaching it to myself. I mean, it just so happened that there were a lot of people there. But I was preaching it to myself. I knew that God had called me to give that up in my life. Now, amazingly enough, I was very thankful that God gave it back. And sometimes God gives it back, but sometimes he doesn't. And that's the purpose of sacrifice. Sometimes, like Abraham and Isaac, God gives it back to you. He just wants to test you. And sometimes he keeps it. Some of you very well know that you have, you have given up scholarships. You have given up opportunities to be here at college. And many of you know that those opportunities will probably never come back in your life. You gave them up. You sacrificed those for God. But as you're here in Bible college, is there something that has creeped back in? Is there an altar that you need to give up? Have you started to live for self? In Jeremiah, God promises to make the brook Kidron holy. You can read it, Jeremiah 31, 40. He sh shall be holy unto the Lord. We can ask ourselves, well, this place of filth, this dump, this graveyard, God is gonna make it holy? Well, God can make you holy as well. 
Have you trusted in Christ's positional holiness, his salvation? I would assume that most of you have, but have you gotten that part taken care of? But then if you're a Christian, you need to take a walk through Kidron every once in a while. You need to follow the path, burn your wealth, drown your filth, spurn yourself. And great power comes from visiting Kidron.